Welcome to The Pursuit of Life, where we share inspirational and action-focused stories to help you live a life of adventure. Proudly presented by Knightswood House. Now, please welcome your host, David Hazelwood. We're joined today by Luke Taberski, who is a former professional soccer player, boy from Bathurst made good, who um, moved overseas at the age of 21 to take up a professional soccer career. And following that, he took on the ultimate triathlon, competed in the Marathon de Sade, the 500-man triathlon, and is now the author of Chasing Extreme and has a documentary on Amazon and also is a um, motivational speaker. So welcome today, Luke. Dave, absolute pleasure to be here, mate. Thanks very much. No, thank you. And uh, you're joining us from, you described it as uh, sunny London today, are you? Yeah, exactly, mate. You know, I'm a very positive person, even though it's six o'clock in the morning and pitch black, I'm optimistic that the sun's going to come out at least for a second today in London. I was going to say, you must be an optimist to believe that about London. (laughs) How long have you been based over there now, mate? I've been here for just over 10 years, actually. And that was throughout the soccer career and you decided to stay or what happened there? Yeah, exactly. So I, I left Australia at 21 and I bounced over to America, finished off a college degree while I was playing, played in the lower leagues, the professional lower leagues in America. I went over to the UK first time, went back to the US, played in Belgium and then came over here to the UK and played a little bit, then battled injuries for, for three years and ended up sort of staying in London, and that's that's about 11 years ago. Wow. Now, how did you go from being a professional soccer player to uh, completing some of these extreme endurance events? And, you know, in terms of that, the, the one that I've noticed is the ultimate triathlon. If you could describe that, and then tell me why you decided to take that challenge on. Yeah, well, that's a... Uh... I'll try and give you the short version because, yeah, that's a quite intricate uh, answer, that one. The long version is in my book, Chasing Extreme, which I know you've already mentioned, but that's the long version's in that. The short version is I had this three-year battle with injury and I just kept breaking down and I would get fit. So I would get a month deal, I'd break down, I'd get on trial with a club and I'd break down all soft tissue injuries, nothing really major for the most part. I only had three major injuries in the space of 11 months, which I had three surgeries. And it was just fit, breakdown, fit, breakdown. Finally, after three years, I had enough. I was also battling with depression at the time and something that I didn't speak about at all. So I was suffering in silence with that. So I had a lot going on. I was in a relationship that lasted six years. In reality, it should have lasted six months. It just wasn't good for either of us. And I just wasn't really enjoying life. And then this one day when I tore a calf muscle and I hobbled home and I iced my calf and I'm literally laying there with a computer on my stomach, in my bedroom, leg up, icing it, tapping away on Google, just trying to get my mind away from not thinking I'm not a soccer player anymore. This is the only thing I ever wanted to do from a four-year-old boy was I just want to play professional soccer. I achieved that goal, but now it's like I'm 28. Now what am I going to do? So as I was playing around on the internet, this random thought popped into my head. It was about this race where you ran through the desert covering 
six or seven or something marathons in a week carrying everything in your backpack that one of my mates from Bathurst had told me about who had just started running marathons. And he said, this is one of the most craziest races. And at that time, as a footballer, as a soccer player, I never had ran 10Ks before. And I thought people that did half marathons were nuts. People that did marathons were on a death wish. I didn't even know there was a thing called an ultra marathon until he told me about this race. So I looked it up. The Marathon de Saabs is what it was. You run six marathons in seven days through the Sahara Desert, carrying everything you need for the entire week in your backpack, food included. So food for day seven, you had to carry on day one. It's mental. And I looked at that and I thought, right, that's what I'm going to do. That's going to be my next goal because I just retired from soccer and I was clueless of what I wanted to do. And I didn't, as I said, I, I had a bit of a loss of identity in that moment, literally. 20 minutes after I decided to retire, I was like, holy crap, I don't know what I'm going to do. This thought came into my head, right, I found this idea, I'm going to do it. So it was in six months. And this is where I'm going to literally answer your question, but you needed a bit of context. So the race was in six months. And I thought, right, I can become an, uh, an endurance athlete in six months. I can do this race in six months time. It's only 255 kilometers in a week of running through the desert. Uh, my, my naivete helped me here for sure. And then I had this other big idea and I thought, what if I do this as my next profession? And because at this time, obviously, I was suffering pretty bad with three years of injuries, my mental health, the relationship, I wasn't enjoying life. I was getting by by a little bit of money from football. I was training other athletes and, and, and doing a bit of PT with my exercise science degree, not really enjoying it. And I thought, right, I'm going to start my new career and it's going to be an endurance adventurer. And what I'm going to do is these big challenges all around the world. I'm going to get paid to do them. I'm going to have sponsors. I'm going to write books. I'm going to write magazine articles. I'm going to have documentaries made about them. I'm going to be on TV. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be my life. So I thought, right, I'm going to do the Marathon de Saab in six months, but that's not going to be big enough to sort of put me on the map. I need something that's going to be big, and I need something that's going to grab people's attention. So what I did is I looked at my laptop. This is about a couple of weeks later. So I iced my calf. That was all good. Told everyone I retired and said, I'm going to be an endurance adventurer doing this race. Everyone thought he's just lost it, but we'll give him this one. <laughs> I kid you not. Everyone was just like, oh, okay. And we thought, okay, we'll give him six months. But this is part of my plan. I thought, this is going to give me a six-month buffer where no one's going to ask me, what are you going to do now? Soccer's finished. I thought, well, that, that's great because I'm just going to say I'm doing this race. And in yeah. my mind, when I finish the race, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to be an endurance adventurer. I'm going to do all this stuff that I just mentioned before. That's what I'm going to do. So no one's going to question me. I also wasn't going to question myself about now what am I going to do football when football's over? Now what am I going to do trying to learn about myself when this big chunk of my life has disappeared? And then I thought, right, I need to do something big. So I looked at a map. On my laptop, a world map with nothing on my mind except adventure. And the first thing that popped into my head that I saw was this, and I say this in inverted like, quote, air quotations, little gap of water between Morocco and Spain. Like Just a little on, gap. Yeah, on a, on a map, on a laptop, it doesn't look very big. <laughs> 
And I had no swimming background. I didn't own a bike. I'd, I'd only signed up to this Marathon de Sables in a couple of months before. So I only just started running. And I thought, maybe I could swim that between Africa and Spain, the Gibraltar Strait. And then I, because all my mates, couple, I had a couple of mates in Australia doing Ironman Triathlon. And I thought, well, maybe I could cycle the southeast coast of Spain, the Costa de Sol. I heard that's really beautiful. Yeah, I'll cycle that oh, to the next country. Oh, that goes to France. Cool. Oh, maybe I could do a triathlon. Now, where's the next country after France? Monaco. Oh, maybe I could run that. And I literally looked at the little gap of water between Morocco and Spain and went, well, that's pretty short. The southeast, the, the southeast coast of Spain looked pretty big. I thought, well, that's pretty big. That's a bike. And then the run leg was shorter. And I said, well, that looks like a perfect percentage of distances, swimming, cycling, and running. I said, I want to do that. So I looked up how far it was and, and if you're able to swim the Gibraltar Strait and you could and it was roughly about 2,000 kilometres and I went, well, Morocco to Monaco, it's the ultimate triathlon, 2,000 kilometres. I did about five minutes of maths and thought, oh, I can do that in 12 days. I asked all my friends, how long do you think? They were like 15 days, no shorter and I was like, right, that's it. In four years... I'm going to do the ultimate triathlon. That's what I'm going to do in four years. I'm going to spend the next four years building up to this. I'm going to have a documentary about it. I'm going to write a book about it. And in four years' time, I'm going to do it. It's going to be called the ultimate triathlon. It's Morocco to Monaco. It's 2,000 kilometers. Screw what all the people who know what they're talking about saying 15 days. I'm doing the 2,000 kilometers in 12 days. Right, let's do this. And, of course, it all happened exactly like that. Up until the start, (laughs) (laughs) the four years doing stuff all around the world went to, well, in terms of doing stuff around the world and developing my brand, yes, it went like that. And then we planned everything and got down there. I I raised barely enough money to do it. So I thought this was going to entice like sponsors and everything. And like, I will be honest, I got a, a few sponsors, which was amazing. And I convinced the documentary maker to (laughs) – this is hilarious. He's a a really good friend now. He actually came to my wedding last year. But I convinced the documentary maker to come on the challenge with me for 12 days. So basically it was just over two weeks and to film it and edit it and he would own it at the end. But I convinced (laughs) him to come down and do it and I said, look, you can take the sales at the end. I can't pay you anything to film it. I can't pay you anything for the two weeks to do it. But if you come down, you film this project, you can own it. We'll put it on whatever you want, but I can only pay for your expenses. I can't give you a wage for two weeks. And for some crazy reason, he was like super excited. He actually approached me before the event, wanted to do some promo stuff because he heard me on a big podcast that was on in America. He lived in the UK. And I think he, he, was, he was definitely a bit of a super fan. So when I asked if he'd like to come, he was like, yes. And, I, I, and I, this, this is such a funny story because I said, do you, are you married? And he's like, yeah, I've got two kids. And I was like, right, before you say yes to a two-week project <laughs> that you're not getting paid for, ask your wife. And he called me back the next day. He's like, my wife, Katie, she said, yes, I need to do it because I've been looking for an adventure. I'm coming. And I was just like, <laughs> wow. That's fantastic. Uh, so that's how the documentary came about with no budget. Wow. And it's a one award all around the world. It's on Amazon Prime called The Ultimate Triathlon. Okay, Wow. Now, since then, you've gone on and uh, you've done a number of other things, as we said, but 
what's your day job these days? What do you describe yourself as? Yeah, so you always get a really interesting look and even some random noises when people ask me, what do you do? You know, like it's, I was just at the, the National Running Show, the biggest uh, running expo in all of Europe over the weekend, which is why my hu- my voice is a bit husky because I've been speaking all weekend on stage and at some of my sponsors' uh, stalls. And people ask me, oh, so, so what do you do? And, and, and how I describe it is I actually open up people's minds to help them believe what they're truly capable of. And 95% of the people just sort of squint their eyes and look at me going, what the hell are you talking about? And I say, well, I do this by inspiring growth. And the ones that haven't just walked away already and actually stay and inquisitive, it's like, well, what do you mean? Like, I say, oh, you want to know how I make money. You don't want to know what I do. You just want to know how I make money. And for me, that's a difference. Because what I actually do is, as I said, I open up people's minds and I inspire growth. But the avenue of what I do that is, through I do big ultra endurance challenges. I'm a speaker. I'm an author. I'm a health and wellness coach. So I help people with mindset. I help them with nutrition. I help other athletes. I help everyday people to achieve their physical and mental goals that they want to achieve. And that's actually the avenue that I use to get my story across and help teach people the tools and the principles and the processes that I've gone through to move them forward in their life through creating the mindset that they can overcome obstacles and adapt to setbacks, plus use my actual tertiary education and my life experiences being an athlete my entire life to help them achieve their physical goals as well. I mash that together and for some crazy reason, people pay me to speak and uh, help them uh, achieve their goals. Okay. Now, I saw on your website, because obviously you do a lot of speaking and you know, speakers are often, or a lot of speakers refer to themselves as motivational speakers. Mm. And, uh, and I saw on your website, you're, uh, that's not something that you really want to be labelled as. No, because motivation's rubbish, absolutely rubbish. And this is completely controversial, I know. But if your listeners haven't switched off after I've said that, let me explain myself. Is that all right, Dave? Yeah, you go for it, mate. So motivation is something that is hyped up about and it's a byproduct, okay? So if you're trying to go and see someone speak and look for motivation, it's very short-lived. It's, it's something that's not going to last unless you treat motivation like fire. So I've just started my own little short podcast, the Luke's Lowdown Podcast. It's available on everywhere that you listen to podcasts. And the latest episode is why motivation is like fire. And why I say this is motivation is completely rubbish unless you cultivate the right conditions, you do the work before you want to be motivated so you understand who you are you understand the drivers that you need the drivers that you already have and you create the right conditions and then you need to start preparing for when you're about to be motivated or motivate yourself so you can sustain it which is why it's like fire you don't just go out and say okay i'm going to get this this tree chop it down throw a match on it there you go there's the fire no, you have to create the right environment. It has to have enough oxygen. It has to be a, a dry floor or, or ground. And then you have to put the kindling on. You have to make sure there's enough oxygen. Then you have to have bigger bits of wood. Then you have to have really big wood. So to do that, and then you have to find a spark, whether that's internally or an external spark. See, people look for motivation 
as a whole, as a roaring fire from someone else. The only way that you should get motivation from someone else is just by a spark to light your kindling, to have the wood next to the fire ready to go to keep it burning because otherwise it's just like lighting a match. You go and see a motivational speaker, you light this match, it's like, wow, look at that, it burns really bright. The next day, the next minute when you walk out of that seminar, it disappears. And it's like, oh, well, I'm not motivated anymore, I've done nothing. That's because you haven't done the work yourself to prepare that. So when you do the work to understand who you are, understand what you need to be able to drive you forward and made the right conditions around you, people and done the work to not the, to understand the knowledge of what you need to do to be motivated to achieve your goals, then you're not going to be able to use that spark from an external source or even from an internal source. You've done all this work and it's like, okay, right, let's go motivated. It might be taking that first step out the door to go for a run. It might be making that first sales call. It might be approaching a coach. It might just be approaching potential customers if if that's part of your business as well. That's the motivation you need. But if you don't cultivate the right conditions and understand why you want to be motivated and how it's going to help you, then your fire is not going to roar, which is why when people say to me, oh, you're a motivational speaker, I sort of smile and I was like, I'm not a motivational speaker. And I was like, I've seen you talk. You are extremely motivational. I said, that's a byproduct of what I do. I give you tools. I give you tools to be able to help you grow and to overcome obstacles and adapt to setbacks in life. If you're motivated off the back of that, that's all well and good. You're going to go away and use the tools and the motivation to actually do stuff. If I got on stage and jumped around and and cheered and screamed and motivated everyone, they walk away. The next day after my talk, they're going, wow, Luke was really motivational. And someone says, oh, what did you learn? Um, Yeah, he was really motivational, but what did you learn? (laughs) Nothing. So the motivation's pointless, and that's why motivation is rubbish. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I remember when I first started working, there was a, a senior guy at the place I was working, and he looked at, looked at a whole group of people who'd just started, and it was a sales environment, and uh, someone was talking about they didn't have any motivation, and he said, how motivated do you think a farmer is to get up in the morning, go and plough his fields, to go and plant the crop that he can then go and harvest six months down the track? He just goes and does it. He's not waiting for motivation. It's not something he's going to be inspired to do. He just knows he's got to do it. Yeah, exactly. So that's um, – I always make people laugh when I tell them that because when I say motivation is this crap and rubbish and there's only – I've only found a handful of people who say that as loud as I do and, yeah, it's always good fun when, when you throw that out to, to someone who introduces you on stage as a motivational speaker and the first thing I say is like, sorry, not a motivational speaker, motivation is crap. And everyone's jaws just drop. <laughs> oh. So tell me, your um, in terms of the the things that you've done, the triathlons and things like that, did you actually enjoy them? I I loved it. I love every minute of them. So I, I one of the reasons why, as I said, the long story about my journeys in in the Chasing Extreme book that we talked about is on Amazon. But it's so my. My sort of real story of these ultra endurance challenges was the whole time I was running away from life. I didn't want to face up to the fact that I wasn't a footballer anymore. But the only time, and also I was battling with depression, didn't wasn't speaking about this for years and years and years. And the whole time I was doing these big challenges, 
And I love doing the, the double Ironman triathlon as my first ever triathlon. You know, I've done 400 plus kilometer nonstop cycles, 100 mile ultra marathons, running through a tropical forest in China with no food, water or money and a plane to catch. That's a whole another story. So I've done all these big crazy things and I loved every minute because that's where I felt at home. That was, that was me. That was Luke being in his purest form. And now, and this is probably a great way, an unintentional segue to go into reflection, which I know you want to talk about, is it wasn't until I stopped and reflected on this period in my life of about four years that I truly understood was that's where I am at my purest form and I use, I use my ultra endurance challenges as my education. That's where I learn about myself. That's where I learn about life and that's where I learn the tools and the principles that help me continually move forward in life in all aspects because endurance sport strips you back to the bone, okay, that you can't make excuses and keep moving forward. You can't do both, okay. You're either moving forward and being positive or you're making excuses and standing still in ultra endurances or in events or in life. So. It wasn't until after the ultimate triathlon and in 2016 when my health plummeted badly. I had to go see a neurologist because I was having six-hour in the morning headaches. My endocrine system basically shut down, so I wasn't secreting the hormone DHEA, which is a, a growth hormone. It's the precursor to testosterone. Obviously, as a male, I definitely need that um, to function. So that was basically the DHEA was zero. It wasn't secreting. So I spent 18 months doing no exercise after four and a half years of doing all these big challenges. And what I did was I actually stopped and reflected on my entire life and on my what I was building as a brand, as my business, five years down the road, making no money, extremely in debt because I was just paying my way to do this, going all in in my business to create this life of an endurance adventurer. And I needed to really stop to help my health, but also to understand what I learned in this process from an athlete, from a building a brand, and also just from a really personal perspective. And that was what I did with reflection. I really sort of stopped this is my five steps of reflection, stopped, looked, listened, asked questions, and then learnt. And that's the process I, I used for uh, reflecting. And was there a trigger to get you to do that? Because you know, you've spoken quite openly about the, the depression you suffered from and you know, the fact that you were using the, you know, these ultra endurance challenges basically to run away and not force yourself to think and question who you were. That was my drug of choice. Yeah. Do you wish you could do more with your money? Knightswood House is a financial advisory firm that specialises in working with successful business professionals who share a passion for endurance sports or other adventures. People often come to us for one of three reasons. One, they aren't where they imagined they'd be financially at this point in their life. Two, they feel frustrated that they are earning good income but aren't doing more with it. And three, they are concerned that they don't have a strategy to make the lifestyle they're working so hard for feasible, both now and in the years ahead. Underlying all of these are nagging doubts about the future and a concern that they aren't maximising the opportunities created by their hard work. 
We have a nine-step process we take you through, which will simplify your financial affairs and take much of the hassle out of your hands, provide you with certainty that the strategy you choose to implement is right for you. And finally, get rid of those nagging doubts and give you confidence that you are on track to achieving the things that are most important to you. Ultimately, we can help you leverage your professional achievements into financial success so you can enjoy a life that is truly remarkable. For more details, head to knightswood.com.au. Okay, back to the show. I mean, aside from the, the health things, I mean, you, I'm sure you still could afford it off if you wanted to, but was there a trigger that got you thinking about why you were doing it and the process that you'd gone through for that? So my health, I couldn't do it. I struggled to, as I said, I had, I had woke, woke up in the morning and I had headaches till like lunchtime and like pounding headaches. And I was so fatigued to walk 500 meters was shattering. And so I, I had no interest in running. I had no interest in sport and I had no interest in really doing anything. I was that exhausted. So I really had to stop. So that was the first part. That was the first part. My health literally just went, no, you can't do it anymore. And you'll see in the documentary on Amazon, The Ultimate Triathlon, I passed out while cycling on a bike. I cycled 80 kilometers on 75 kilometers on a bike because my crew lost me and I have no recollection. I was passed out, passed out on the run. That was because I was so severely fatigued and drained and mentally exhausted, physically exhausted before I did the event. So then when I was digging deep, my body just shut down. So when I finished and the emotions all come back down to sort of ground zero, I just was exhausted so I couldn't do it. So that actually stopped me. And the other trigger was I realized I hadn't actually processed retiring from football and like that's like four and a half years later. I hadn't actually spent any time to grieve. You know, this might sound a bit weird, but, you know, I all I wanted to do as a four-year-old kid was play football. I retired at 28. Now at 32, I'd have to actually stop and, you know, grieve that loss. That mess, it was my, Football was my whole life. So I had to grieve that loss in my life and take the time to sort of process that I'm not a footballer anymore because I still had that loss of identity. And alongside this, I had to process that, that wasn't my career anymore and that I didn't have anything to prove on a physical level, which is one of the subconscious drivers of doing these big challenges. I felt like I had to prove to myself that I could still be this big, strong, amazing athlete that I always pitched in my head as a professional footballer because I always prided myself on being one of the fittest in the team. Now, not playing football, not facing up to the fact that I'm not a footballer anymore and not processing that that I've retired, as I said, like underlying was I needed to prove myself that I'm still an athlete, that I can still push my body. And that was one of the things that kept me going. So when I actually stopped and realized because my health literally said no more, they it pulled the plug, I then had to face the fact that I'm not a footballer. Okay, how am I going to deal with this? What have I learned from the last four years and sort of grieve for not being a soccer player anymore and then I don't have anything to prove to anyone some of the stuff I've done no one's ever done before why am I trying to prove to other people but more so why am I trying to prove to myself that I'm still this amazing big athlete I don't want to keep running away from life I want to start living it and looking to the future and that's how it all came about yeah wow it's actually really interesting just 
as you're talking, I'm thinking about a lot of business professionals who go through the same thing when they get to the point of retiring from business, where, you know, particularly the ones who are, who are very successful, but um, even the ones who've just devoted their whole life to business, and they haven't necessarily cultivated much of a life outside of that. And it's exactly the same process where you go from being someone who was once important to uh, someone who's retired now. And all of a sudden, there is that, that whole loss of identity. Yeah, massive. I totally agree. And, and there's two, two, I see this and I saw it myself because everything that I do, so I have a life philosophy that I live by every single day. It's to build and keep relationships strong, learn daily and teach others what life has taught me. That's everything that I do evolves around that. If I do that, I inspire growth. So that is my whole essence. So I want to share my knowledge. So everything that I've learned is just from what I've learned from my own life experience. So when I finish playing football, and like the same as you, I've spoken to successful business people who have retired and they're a bit like, I've got, I don't know who I am. They have to do the work to understand what it is they like to do that now this thing's been taking away, who they really are and how they want to live their life. So they have to do the internal work to understand that. The other thing that they need to do is, you know, whether it's a business, whether it's your job, whether it's an animal, whether it's a human being, something that's played a big role in your life, something that you love, something that you have an emotional attachment to, when that goes, i.e. a loved one dies, a pet dies, or you retire from a career, when that's out of your life, you need to stop and grieve. You need to make peace that that's not in your life anymore, where I think a lot of people will grieve when someone passes away. But as I said, if you have an emotional connection to something that you love doing, that's been a massive role in your life, and you've seen it, done it, or are involved in it on a daily basis or a weekly basis, you're, there's a big chunk of your life that's got to be missing. So you need to take the time to make peace with that it's not in your life anymore and do that grieving process alongside of once you do that, understand what you want to achieve in your life, understand what you are, who you are and how you want to live and what your drivers are going to be to move forward. And if you do those two things, you're going to be have a lot more clarity in your life and who you are and be able to try and move forward and be positive and truly live a life that you want to live. But a lot of people don't do that and just retire and, as you said, are completely lost, don't know who they are, don't know what they want to do. Yeah, exactly. And it's a, it's a real tragedy too and you know, I think you see a lot of depression and um, a lot of health issues that uh, that arise from it but also loneliness too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because if, if you're successful and you're around a team every day and then all of a sudden it's gone, or if you're in a marriage for 60 years and your partner dies and they're your best friend and, and you're, you're elderly, you're getting older and they're not there anymore, complete loneliness. You're in a team environment every day and you retire and you're at home by yourself or you're at home with your spouse, they're still working, you've got to be extremely lonely and then you're just not getting that mental stimulus on a chemical level in your brain and that's going to have an imbalance to what you're used to. And then you're going to go on a downward spiral, a higher chance of going in a downward spiral. And you can't really do a whole lot about that unless you do the work to try and change that chemical balance by doing the internal work and understanding the things that I said uh, mentioned before. Yeah, well. Now, tell me, Luke, you mentioned that you're married, recently married. Yeah. 
how do you keep your partner on side and ensure that uh, you know time and you know your pursuit of all these crazy things is fair across the family? Yeah, great question. Uh, so we've been married eighteen months. Uh, she actually grew up in the town next to me, Orange. We met in London, and we don't have no mutual friends or anything like that. But it's just a funny story, which so give people context. She's done a couple of Ironman triathlons. She's done swam the English Channel twice. So when people say, oh, are you crazy like him? And she says, no, I pull her up on that. Because uh, she, <laughs> she swam across the English Channel twice. But she hasn't really done endurance sports for about four years now because she just finished her master's in osteopathy. So she's super smart and I've done well to marry someone that could take care of my body as well. <laughs> um, so just to give people a bit of context, she understands the, the physical and the mental elements of what I'm trying to do. So Vanda, my wife, met me at the start of 2015 when I was preparing for the ultimate triathlon. So she didn't see me in sort of my darkest, darkest times, but it was still pretty dark. And she met me when I was in full training mode for the ultimate triathlon. She actually came and crewed for me during the ultimate triathlon after only dating for about three months. So she was my medical support. I thought, I've either got a keeper or I'm going to be single at the end of this. Um, she she stuck around, so I thought, right, I'm, I, I might look silly, but I'm not stupid. I'm going to marry this one. She's a keeper. So, yeah, so she has seen that side of me. And then also she was there for the 18 months after I finished the Ultimate Triathlon and I was in a pretty dark place. I didn't couldn't exercise and... She saw me when Luke wasn't Luke because I didn't have exercise and I didn't have these endurance challenges because I couldn't because of my health. So with that being said, she has seen so many different sides of me with in, with context of what I'm actually doing on a day-to-day basis, whether it's business or sport. So what I like to do is I, I come up with all these big crazy ideas and she's a straight talker. She'll just be like, no, you're not doing that. That's just stupid. Okay. She'll come at it from a health perspective. She'll come at it from a business perspective. She'll come at it from a, a, a spousal perspective as well. So she's really helped me in an indirect way to sort of not just have my head in the clouds like I used to and say, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do that. It's actually, okay, is it within my brand and is it within my life philosophy of helping me do this? So she has to put her emotions aside sometimes when I re-recently, so long, long-winded way to answer your question, which I'd like to give a bit of context, is the end of last year, I said to her, I said, right, I've got this two and a half year plan of adventures that I want to do and content I want to create for my brand and things that have sort of been bubbling for a while. But in November, after I launched my book, which was a big thing that we we're focusing on, we sat down and we had a discussion as a husband and wife. And I think the key for me, I guess the short, really, really short answer for me is that we speak a lot. We have great communication. We don't have a television. That's on purpose. English television is rubbish. But you know, apart from that, we don't have a television. And most nights we sit down at the dinner table and talk. And we talk about our days. We talk about life. We talk about things that we both want to achieve. And we have this conversation over dinner. We do that at least four to five times a week because we're both home at dinner time most of the time. So communication is massive. And even if we know it's going to be uncomfortable for one another, we still have the conversation. And there are times when I've said, look, can we have a conversation where our emotions are off the table and we're not husband and wife, we are crew chief and athlete, we are just two people talking and we just put the emotions to the side. 
And she says, okay, yes. So we leave that spousal connection to the side and we have this conversation. And it's like the gloves are off, I'll be honest. But then we say, okay, are we done? We agree to disagree or we've found a truce or we've found a, a medium ground. So, okay, cool. Can we put the emotions back on the table? Yeah, we're husband and wife. We kiss, we hug. Okay, cool. Let's move on. So communication and having that sort of uh, conversation is really has been beneficial for me because when I sit down and say I've got this two-and-a-half-year plan, once I've already justified it to myself, I have to sort of justify it to her and get the green light because – she will just call me out. Why are you doing that? What's the point of that? I think that's a little bit too much. How is that going to help develop your brand? Well, what about this idea? What about that person that you mentioned last month? Could they help you? So I bounce. She's like a, a second sounding board. After the one inside my head, I go through her. If she gives me the tick of approval, then I'll go and talk to sort of my tribe and people who are sort of within my inner, inner circle to then bounce more ideas off to see if I can move it forward. So in a long-winded way, it's communication, but also being able to communicate with her in a non-emotional way to decide if she's willing to put up with my crap to do big challenges for another year or two or, or, or leading up to whatever it is. But I would imagine from what you're describing, because a lot of that's the – the stuff that we go through with clients as well in terms of, you know, those open and honest discussions and setting aside the the time to do that because it's quite difficult to do. We're all busy and actually carving out a space to do that is really, really important. But I'd imagine too that that plays a, uh, a significant role in ensuring that, you know, financially you guys are looked after as well. Yeah, so I, you know, we say we don't have a television, that's by choice and I don't like having my phone in my hand after, you know, when, when we're starting to cook dinner, then I put my phone away. So we eat dinner together. We don't, we don't have kids, but I sort of feel like my sister has two kids, two young kids, and I, I talk to her all the time and I've seen how she lives. She lives over in the UK as well. So, and I doubt she'll listen to this so I, can, I could be a little bit blunt about, about her life. Uh, she says she has no time to do anything. She's a school teacher. She's got two young kids. But then she'll sit and relax and watch television for an hour or so and she'll sit on her phone for half an hour or so. So there's an hour and a half where she might sit and chill for half an hour and relax, but then she's got an hour. Sometimes her husband's home, sometimes it's not. Like They don't communicate all that well. Um, there's been ups and downs in, in their marriage. Like I've said to her, why don't you sit down and have a conversation for 45 minutes and you've got 15 minutes to do what you want. But it's like, well, no, I don't have time. Well, you sit and watch television for an hour to unwind. Sit and watch television for half an hour, then have a conversation. So it's about sacrificing what you think you want to do and what you need to do to actually sacrificing and using that time, not sacrificing, but using that time more proactively to help your relationship and help your family move forward. Even if you have a really young baby, it's like, I don't have any time, sleep's important. Half an hour. You know, don't watch television. Sit and talk with your spouse. At first, you might think, well, this is boring. I just want to switch off. But like training a muscle, like training, like doing anything, the more you do it, the better you come at it. So then all of a sudden, your conversations become deeper. That half an hour, you actually start unlocking things. You actually start improving your marriage. You're improving your family life. And you find more time and you'll get more enjoyment because we are communal people. So actually stopping and having a conversation 
on a, you know, on a chemical level, like I love neuroscience. So that's why I love talking about this. We change the way that our brain functions when we start talking to someone that we love more. And at first it might be difficult, but the more that we do it because we're communal beings, we're going to get more neurotransmitters, the ones that we want, like the dopamine hits that we want for because we love doing this, speaking to our spouse, rather than dumbing that down by just staring at a television screen. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Now, before we wind up, because I'm conscious of your time, and obviously it is early in the morning over there and you've got the whole day to, uh, to prepare for as well. But I just wanted to find out, so if people want to get in contact with you or want to um, find any more about all these things, what's the best place for them to go? Yeah, the best place is my website, luketoberski.com. And you will find links to buy my book, Chasing Extreme. It's on Amazon, but there are links there. You'll find links to the documentary, The Ultimate Triathlon, which is also on Amazon Prime. Uh, you will see a bit about my speaking. You'll see my podcast there. As I said, it's the Luke's Lowdown podcast. It's short, 20, 30-minute bites. You know, there's ones about motivation, why motivation is rubbish, motivation is like fire, building a team. So what I wanted to do is just really make them short, 20 to 30 minutes, focus on one thing. And it's just me talking and just to give people one thing to think about. So that's on there as well. All about my adventures. You get short little snippets on each of my adventures. Some of them have videos, short self-filmed, other short documentaries. But it's LukeTaberski.com. And on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, it's Luke Taberski. I do all of that myself. I don't know how, but I've somehow managed to do that. So come say hi, write a message. If you've enjoyed the, the podcast, just let me know. And I love hearing from people. And at the show on the weekend, as I said, I was at the National Running Show in the UK. And I had people come up to me because I spoke at it last year as well. And they said, Luke, we saw you speak last year. We saw you talk this year. It was amazing. I'm going to go think about, you know, controlling the things that I control and not focusing on things that I can't, i.e. your attitude. And thanks very much. So what truly inspires me is when people reach out to me, people tell me that I've made a change or I've made them think differently in life. And that's what keeps me doing what I do. And that is, that is the inspiration, that, that fuel to that fire that motivates me to keep me moving forward. So if you have enjoyed this or if you've got any questions, please reach out uh, and get in touch. Fantastic. Thank you. And one final question for you, and this is a challenge for listeners, and I don't think it might be hard for you to narrow down, but um, what I ask of each of our guests is to put out a challenge for the listeners, something that they can do in the next week that will make a difference in their life. So you know, there's a few different things that we've spoken about, but uh, if you were to narrow down and come up with one challenge for the listeners, what would that be? All right. So I want you to use the power of reflection for 30 minutes. Find 30 minutes in your day. Switch off the television, put your phone down, 30 minutes, okay? And I want you to do these, these five things. I want you to stop, okay? So I want you to stop doing what you're doing. I want you to create space in your life. I want you to set, um, turn yourself off from the world and be mindful. So just stop. And then I want you to look, be thorough, look within, use various lenses from a personal, from a professional perspective. And then I want you to observe from different angles, from a slightly different way in your life, a different perspective of how you initially saw it. So stop, look, and then I want you to listen. 
I want you to listen intently and don't distract yourself with your phone or anything else or don't interrupt yourself. You've got 30 minutes to do all of this, okay, and listen to all your senses. And then I want you to ask the questions, ask the uncomfortable questions of the problem that you're struggling with or something that you didn't achieve recently and ask those difficult questions about yourself or about the project that didn't quite work out or that failed and then reaffirm your thoughts. Don't second guess your knowledge. If it didn't work because you thought of a reason, dig into that a little bit more and question your own motives, why you wanted to do it. And then finally, I want you to write down the things that you learned from this process. Check your ego. Get rid of that ego and want to learn, want to grow and embrace the change. So I want you to use the power of reflection that I use, which is stop, look, listen, ask questions and learn to overcome something that's been a block in your life or something that you failed at or something that didn't work out the way that you wanted, find 30 minutes. It's really simple. If you want to do this, write down what I just explained and go ahead and do it. And also, I want you to let me know and Dave what you learned. Fantastic. Thank you, mate. I'll, uh, I'll have to stop and do that myself as well because that's a fantastic, uh, fantastic way of looking at it. Mate, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and I've, uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's certainly gone in, uh, in a number of different directions, but uh, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure, Dave. Thanks very much for having me on. Great. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening to The Pursuit of Life. To learn more about how Knightswood House can help you live your life of adventure whilst planning your future, visit knightswood.com.au.